has been supporting us, and I know that you've been in a bit of a growth spurt here, and I praise God for that. I've been reading your webpage and some of your emails and seeing that you're doing overflow and things like that. Those are great days, and never take that for granted. Um, I've seen that in churches, and I've seen those churches today with 500-seat auditoriums and 60 people sitting in the pews. So the, the enemy is at work, and I uh, would like to destroy anything that the Holy Spirit's doing. And uh, just don't take anything for granted. I know you don't. And um, I just appreciate to hear of the growth that's here. And as one of your missionaries, um, I am thrilled that you still care to embrace us. And I don't take that for granted. I, I realize that it's only by grace that um, Pastor Joel and, and the elders and the church at large uh, is willing to consider supporting our ministry and helping our ministry. And um, it certainly has grown at the same time. I don't take it for granted. I realize that the Lord could take it away from me in a matter of moments and days. And so um, it's, a, it's a very, very uh, challenging time. It's, a, it's an exciting time to serve the Lord. It's a dangerous time in our nation. And um, this nation is, I heard Pastor praying, I think it was him that was praying about uh, uh, the moral revolution um, that's taking place. And uh, there is a moral revolution. There is a second uh, great revolution taking place in this country. And um, it's not for good. And it's a dangerous time, and um, I'm not a pessimist, I'm, I'm a realist, but I really believe that looking forward, um, it's sobering to wonder where we'll be uh, in the next election, 2014, uh, whether we'll even have a peaceful election, uh, no less a fair election, and no less one that will be anything less than what it's been over these last couple of years. Uh, Democrat, Republican is not the issue. The issue is the moral condition of this nation. And as I wrote in a newsletter just the other day, I don't look at um, Wall Street. I really don't. I look, at, uh, I look at prisons. And if you want to know what the future of the country looks like, take a look at that. And maybe I'm a little skewed, but uh, our prisons are telling on us. And the interest or lack of interest in the things that are happening in our prisons and in our law enforcement. Uh, you can't wake up any day without seeing and hearing uh, things that are affecting my world, which is uh, the world of criminal justice. Um, and I believe it's a, it's a very, very important world. And let me just pray and ask God to help us through this time. Father, we thank you for your word. I thank you for um, this wonderful church, Lord, that is uh, even now studying through uh, Leviticus. And I, I thank you for that. I thank you, Lord, for um, I'm sure what are great, great, powerful lessons that are being drawn from, from the Old Testament, from the Old Covenant, and from... Uh, a holy God, a God who has manifested himself to us uh, through the law. And um, we thank you, Lord, that even where um, even the faith of Islam, which uh, seems to be moving across the face of the earth, uh, which swears to legalism and swears to law and, the, and all of that. Uh, Lord, may they see that in the law of Moses, Father, is nothing more beautiful than the whole sacrificial system and, and the whole centrality and the need for our Redemption in the Lamb, the Lamb's blood. Oh, God, I pray that you will have mercy upon me as I open your word this morning. And I thank you for the fellowship we can have together. Lord, I pray that you would write us upon one another's hearts today. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I've never, I've never seen this in a bulletin in my life. I pastor said I can give a little report, so I'll give a little report. But I was reading your nursery schedule and your church schedule, nurseries, hostesses, nurseries, greeters, sound system, ushers, nursery. And I never knew a church with a lockup. <laughs> what kind of people do you put in your lockup? 
So I was a prison minister for 40 years. I've never seen this in a church. So after, after church, I'd love to visit your prison cell. Okay? So please take me there. I'd love to see who's in there. Is it a three-year-old or what is it? It's right next to the nursery. That's what it was really. Anyway, that just hit me like, wow, lockup. They got a lockup in this church. I get it. I think that means somebody closes the doors at the end of the day. I think. I must admit, my mind wandered for a minute when I saw that. Um, just a brief report. I really want to open the word to you this morning. And I realize it's a Sunday, almost a Sunday before Christmas. Next Sunday is uh, that special day when uh, you're going to gather and celebrate um, the Lord's birth and uh, look forward to that. And I, have, I actually have a, what would be a traditional Christmas text this morning uh, for you, so I'm not going to take you far from that. Don't want to. Uh, thank you, Pastor Joel, for letting me come. And um, don't dive into any more shallow ends of the pool. I know you didn't do that, but um, I did that once myself. I started out in jail when I was, actually before I was age 23, but in, when I was 23, it was 1973, and I started formally as a jail chaplain at that time at Chester County Prison. Um, in those days, about 145, 165 inmates in our jail, your county jail. Actually, your county jail is bigger than mine as far as population. Um, our population is a little under 1,000, maybe about 960 today. Um, I imagine yours is, I don't even want to guess what yours is, I imagine it's probably 1,200 plus at, at Lancaster County Prison. Um, we have um, a great prison. We have a prison that, unlike most county jails in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania, is unique in the sense that when they renovated the jail and built more cells onto it, one thing our county commissioners made sure they did was give us a beautiful chapel which is central to our prison. It's right across from central control. Um, I can say you don't have one in Lancaster County because it wasn't apparently a priority in your county to have a chapel. They have to fight for the space. It's true of Delaware County where they um, built the state-of-the-art prison by whacking hut and dogs and monitors and electric keys and all that kind of stuff, but they didn't build a chapel either. Um, I think the reason we have a chapel is because of the impact of the gospel in our jail since 1973. And because of the impact of the gospel in our jail since 1973, by the time they renovated this last time at our prison to, to expand our prison, one thing that the commissioners, thank God for a born-again commissioner and those who were uh, leaning towards the things of the Lord, um, there was a definite fight that was gone on in our county to establish that, that chapel. And so we have a chapel that's um, about this big in our county jail. And we thank the Lord for it. We don't take that for granted. We can't fill it all the time. And the only reason we can't fill it is because jails segregate prisoners. They segregate minimum security from minimum security, medium from medium, maximum from maximum, and, and women from women. And it's so divided to keep peace and keep a lid on the place like any jail. The only mass movement in our jail is to the chapel. That's the only mass movement that's left. There's no more dining room where everybody goes to eat. They eat in the cell blocks. They don't go out to the gym anymore or up to the gym or out to the big yard. They don't do that anymore. They have little little spots outside the back of their cell block area where they can go out and hit a basketball or something. But there's no mass movement. The only mass movement left in our jail is to chapel. And it can be massive if we can get that many men that will come out at the same time. Um, this afternoon, we may have about 140 men that will, not 140, about, about 95 men, no, 140 men will come out this afternoon for a chapel, which is, which is a lot of bodies walking down the hallway in the jail. And I will say that if it was today's afternoon chapel, there will be men at our chapel service. And of those, say, 115 men, there are 40 men that will come to chapel. 
I can guarantee you 75% of those men walking down that hallway are someone's dad or someone's granddad. Now, if we call the women down to the jail or down to the chapel out of our inmate population of women, and this is true probably at Lancaster or any place you go in the Commonwealth or in the world, you're going to find that women in jail are probably about 98% someone's mom or grandmom. So technically, working in, in prison, you're just working with moms and dads and grand and grandpas. And, and so that's really what kind of work it is. People think it's a dangerous job. Um, it has its elements. We have, our, we have our sections where there aren't really friendly people in them. Um, but overall, it's not a very dangerous place to work as far as I'm concerned. I've done it my whole life. I've been hurt more in the church than I have inside the jail. I can tell you that. I know that for sure. I've been around the block a little bit. Yesterday, I had the uh, sad, sad honor. It was a sad honor. That's an oxymoron. But I had the uh, privilege and honor to uh, speak at the funeral of uh, a board member of County Corrections Gospel Mission who's been with me even before County Corrections Gospel Mission even started. When I started in jail at age 23, Dr. Joe Ekman put his arm around me. I was just studying in seminary and just starting at the jail. He lived up the street, and he heard about me, and he came over there with Congressman Joe Pitts, Joe Pitts, you're a congressman probably. Uh, Joe was right with him. Joe Pitts and, and Dr. Ekman both came down and put their arm around me as a 23-year-old chaplain. And um, both of them have stayed beside me uh, from the very beginning. Congressman Pitts was with me for 23 years as a board member, uh, continues to be a supporter of our ministry. He was there yesterday as I laid my dear brother, uh, Dr. Joe Ekman, um, to, to rest at Union Hill Cemetery in Kent Square. He died with a very, very fast um, case of melanoma. It took his life in four months and um, left uh, behind six beautiful grandchildren. And um, so my heart's kind of grieving this morning over losing such a man of God. Rabbi Zacharias, the great evangelist uh, in this nation, sat by him about four weeks ago in his home, just held his hand for an hour and prayed with him. Uh, Joe was already almost gone with pain. Um, but Rabbi also, he served on Rabbi's board for many, many years. And and Joe was just one of those guys that just gave and gave and gave and gave and gave. And um, so we're going to dearly miss him. So remember the Dr. Joe Ekman family, if you would. My ministry, I'm glad Pastor said it, and, and I'll just make another two minutes about it, one minute maybe. Um, it started in the jail, and that was 1973. By 1980, we had City Gate Rescue Mission, which is now sleeping about 40 men every single night. And City Gate is downtown Coatesville, which came out of our prison ministry. That was 1980. 1985, we started working in the housing projects with Coatesville's children um, because, again, you can't separate jail work from street work. It's the same old crowd. And so we began kids' ministry. That was 1985. 1992, God gave us the Old Mill Bible Conference, started by Donald Gray Barnhouse, Clarence E. Mason, some of those great men of God. 1992. So we've had Old Mill now over 20 years um, which continues to house children, not house them, but bring them in uh, from the city of Coatesville, from Brooklyn, from Washington, Chester, Philadelphia, uh, coming to our camp. And um, the camp at the Old Mill is now the base of our ministry called County Corrections Gospel Mission. Uh, working in prison, you're not there very long before you start getting a heart for the men and women who run the prison, the wardens, the correctional officers. And uh, before long, you realize that every county jail it's a very special place because all the police departments in our whole county, guess where they have to go? They've got to come to jail. Police departments are transporting prisoners all the time from all 52 of our police departments in Chester County. 
And so 52 police departments are coming in and out of our prison drives. State police officers are coming in and out every day. So you can see the impact the prison has. If God's doing something at the prison, he can begin to do it in the hearts of police officers. And, and so our ministry expanded to police and, and got to know Bob Vernon from Los Angeles Police. Now we travel the world with Bob and do ministry to police officers. But we do what we do, we do it first at home in our own backyard. So our ministry gets deeper and deeper and deeper in Chester County. And it gets broader and broader as God opens the doors. And, and there's just no limit uh, to what, what God's done. He's given us an office in Washington, D.C., one of your great restaurant owners right here in, in Lancaster County. Spends $1,000 a month to give me an office right outside the back door of the Supreme Court. And um, I won't say who it is, but one of your most famous restaurants in Chester County, thanks to a godly man in there, puts $1,000 a month into our ministry. We send it right down to Washington, and it allows me to walk up the steps right out the back door of the Supreme Court into an office there where we cry our burden there um, in, in Washington and around the world. So uh, God's blessed us. If you want to come pray with me at the Washington Hilton Hotel, um, most people don't ever come and pray with me down there. Um, I must say, some people that do come and pray with me are kind of strange to pray with. Um, so I need some good, solid Bible people. And, um, but it's at the National Prayer Breakfast in Washington. Every year, this is, I'm hoping this is a year when the president will show up again. He won't come to my prayer room. But at the prayer room, it's the official prayer room of the National Prayer Breakfast on February. It's a Wednesday night and Thursday morning, whatever that day is, 6th and 7th, I think, of February. We'll be in the Washington Hilton Hotel. I host a prayer room for that. And it's open, and from Wednesday noon until Thursday noon, we pray for 30 hours for this nation. Upstairs are 4,000 leaders from all over the world, including our nation's president. We minister to the Secret Service when they come in the middle of the night to set up for the president's arrival. And, um, but when I ask for prayer, if I get 10 people praying with me for those 30 hours, I'm blessed. Even with all the 4,000 people upstairs, they don't come downstairs at the National Prayer Breakfast. And so, but again, great door that God's opened to us. So no lack of opportunity, exciting times. I'm also a chaplain for the Pennsylvania State Police. Don't get paid for it, but I do it because I live there and they asked me to do it. So we're on call with them as well. Well, that's a little update. We need your support. We need your support. We have missionaries like every mission. Our missionaries have to raise support. Leon and Mary Brubaker came out of this church, I think, and their children are in this church. And Mary and Leon... Um, work with us. They labor with us. They were with me at the funeral yesterday with Emily, who just got a 4.0 in her first semester of college, studying to be a nurse. And um, their son, Luke, got a 4.0 at Bob Jones. He's home for Christmas pretty soon. Um, they are part of our missionary staff. And I can tell you, um, they would not make it were it not for some of the things that God has done for them uh, financially. Um, they go from day to day and week to week. And so pray for our ministry. And let me say this to you, and this is part of my message now. I really believe as we approach the last days, you may think my theology is bad, but I don't think it is. As we approach the last days and we see um, the man of sin will be revealed, you know where this nation's going, where the world's going. It seems like more violence, more chaos, failure of the family. Um, gay marriage is probably going to be a reality in 50, 50 states in this nation outside of, outside of literally a revival. Outside of a revival, there will be gay marriage from coast to coast in this nation. And it's going to come like a storm. And so we don't know what's going to happen the next two years on immigration. We don't know what the voting block is going to look like in 2014. This is a dangerous time. And I really believe that, as it was prayed this morning, pray for those who are in 
authority. Those who are in legitimate places of authority, kings and all in authority. We're supposed to pray for them. They're God's ordained servants. They are ordained of God. And they are the men and women who are putting their life on the line and they're going into the firestorm. And the more it happens, whether it happens in Colorado, a day before the anniversary of of, uh, Columbine or the anniversary of Sandy Hook, whatever it is, um, these men and women are going in, laying their lives down. They are servants of God in their role. We were mandated to pray for them. And so that's where we're ministering. And you talk about it, you talk about a spiritual warfare. If you were, if you were Satan, wouldn't you want to reign your greatest, greatest um, uh, deceitfulness and your greatest weaponry, number one, against legitimate authority of the family? Do you see it happening? Wouldn't you want to see, when, if you were Satan, wouldn't you want to see your greatest warfare against the legitimate authority of the local church? And wouldn't you want to see your most legitimate warfare against legitimate leaders in government. And I'm telling you, it's a dangerous time. And so the movie Courageous, we were very involved in Courageous. The man who wrote the Bible follow-up for that is on our staff now in Elkhart, Indiana. And, and so we just have seen God do so much, but it's brought me to where I'm at this morning on this message. So let's pray again. God will touch our hearts in the few moments we've got together. Father, I pray that you would help me to uh, speak, Lord, what... I believe, Father, this morning would be a very, very right um, uh, thought as we go into Christmas week. As we are soon, Lord, just less than ten days perhaps away from a celebration of your birth, Lord, in uh, Christmas 2013. We don't know what the end of the year is even going to bring. We don't know what the next days are going to bring. Uh, I never thought this time last year Dr. Joe would be gone. Lord, I, I know that it's always possible. We don't take life for granted, but we pray right now that, Lord, you would bring our hearts to hear what the Spirit saith to the church. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I want you to turn your Bibles to the book of Luke, the first chapter. And as you're turning there, I was asked by one of your uh, dear ones here, um, since I work in prison, have I ever heard of Malachi dads or do we do any work with Malachi dads? And we do. Matter of fact, our prison is probably the only prison this side of the Mississippi River that I know of that was the first to have Malachi dads in our prison. Malachi dads, as you know, is connected with Awana, Angola Prison in Louisiana, very tied in with uh, Burl Kane, the warden there. And we've been down there to Malachi dads. We've been down there. And as an Awana church, as an Awana church, I want to challenge you as an Awana church, as you reach kids and you reach children in your neighborhoods and you really have an Awana vision and you're using the Awana material, Take a look at Malachi Dads. Be a Malachi Dads church. Be a church where people, men coming out of jail eventually, I wish you were in my backyard, I would challenge you as a local church to be a Malachi Dad church so that the men in my prison who are being touched by Malachi Dads and the whole issue of repentance, that they would have a place to go when they come home where they know there'd be a favorable atmosphere for men who come out of jail who understand repentance and the whole Malachi Dad program. And so that's published by Awana, Malachi Dads. Also is published by them now, um, which is called Hannah's Gift. And Hannah's Gift was started in Louisiana prisons, which is for women in prison. Again, what's Hannah's Gift? Turning your children over to the Lord. How many, what percentage of women did I say in jail have a, have a child? About 98%. We're starting in our 20 books right now. 20 books right now in my car, Hannah's Gift, which we're going to introduce Hannah's Gift into our women's section in the next couple days. 
And again, it's all about repentance. And you start talking to inmates about their kids. You start talking about women in jail, about their children. You begin to touch a nerve that literally is very, very special that God uses. Same thing with men. That's how the Old Testament ends, doesn't it? The last chapter of the Old Testament, the last verse of the Old Testament says, talking about John the Baptist, chapter 4, verse 5 of Malachi, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord, and he shall turn the heart of the fathers to their children and the heart of children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. So the last verse of the Old Testament in the King James Bible is curse. That's the last word of the Old Testament in the King James Bible. Curse. God says, I will visit the earth with a curse unless I turn the heart of fathers to their children and children to their fathers. And, and I really believe as I'm going into Christmas week and you're going into Christmas week, if you were to ask me what's the one word, Jack, that has been driven into your heart over the last three years of ministry, at least the last three years of ministry, if not longer for me, it's been the whole issue of repentance and brokenness before God. If there's any theme at all that I would want you to remember this morning in the moments I have with you, it would be the issue of repentance and brokenness before God. And I want to submit to you this morning, two weeks from Christmas, you have one more week before you celebrate next Sunday. But as you think about Christmas, I want to submit to you that the first word of the gospel is repent. The first word of the gospel is repent. You'll see it here and you'll see it as you study the word of God. Repentance, coming before God. And that doesn't mean just looking back on the day when you said, Jesus Christ, be my Lord and Savior. I repent of my sins. But truly, I think the mark of a spirit-filled, Bible-centered, Christ-centered man or woman, a spirit-filled, Christ-centered family, a spirit-filled, Bible-centered, Christ-centered church, what will be the mark of that church is that there's evident work of repentance in the heart of every one of us. That we are repenters. Repentance is something that you don't hear much. And I want to submit to you this morning that according to the Luke account, no matter what gospel you read, repentance is part of the gospel. John preached it. Jesus preached it. Peter preached it. Paul preached it. The scriptures fill themselves with it. This whole issue of repentance and, and the idea that we have turned not from where, we were go, from where we were going to the living God. And we turn to Him. Our whole life is changed. We are living repentantly. We're living turned. That's another word. Matter of fact, Awana calls their conference at Angola Prison, which they will not have this spring. But over the last four years, they've had a conference called Turn. And the inmates have hosted it at Angola Prison for men, and men like you who are laymen and they want you to come to Angola prison to live in an old, uh, old uh, capital crime cell block, live in the cells and hear inmates speak about repentance and brokenness before God. And God has used Awana and Angola prison to speak to hearts about repentance and brokenness. I could speak all morning about repentance to you. One of the most great repenters I ever met in my life was Dr. Peter Dugulescu, who was a pastor of First Baptist Church of Timisoara in Romania. Peter Dugulescu was a guest at my home and wrote his last book. His last book was called Repenters. 
It wasn't long ago he died. It was a sad death. He was hoping to be the ambassador of Romania to America. He was the first Christian senator in Romania after the fall of communism. You may know about Peter Dugulescu. And he wrote a book called Repenters. And how in Romania, the church in Romania, the church that you used to probably send Bibles to Brother Andrew in Eastern Europe. And you used to, many years ago, you would send Bibles or give money to, to a work where they were smuggling Bibles in behind the Iron Curtain. And, and men and women who were hungry for Christ were getting the Bibles and people were being put to death for having a Bible. It was Peter Dugulescu and his family that were receiving these Bibles. And they were living in dangerous atheistic Romania. And Peter remembers as a little boy growing up in atheistic, communistic Romania, he remembers being called that dirty word by all of his friends. Repenter. You're one of them. You're a repenter. You know what? I, wouldn't it be great if the church would be referred to by the world as repenters? That they really have turned... From their sin to the living God. There's something really different about the people of God. In the city of Coatesville, our high crime area where I grew up since I was nine. We have churches there that hold the word of God and hold to the word of God. But they've already voted and decided they're, they're going to leave the city. They don't want to be there. It breaks my heart as a chaplain and, and as a man of God knowing the history of this church. Not this one, but that one. That they have already voted to leave the city. They support my ministry. But the last time I was asked to speak in their pulpit, the pastor met with me a week before I spoke. And he said, don't say one thing to us about getting involved in Coatesville. We're leaving. What have we been called to? In this country today. The church is under attack. Where is our impact on this nation? And I really believe as you even study Leviticus, and I was happy to hear you're studying it. I was going to give you a hard time this morning and, and say, let's open to the book of Leviticus. And pastor said, don't even try it. He said, don't do that to them. I've been hurting them myself. But I, I'm an Old Testament guy. Last time I was told the whole, all, all the word of God is profitable. Isn't that what we teach? Every word of God is profitable for what? Doctrine, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness. Why? So the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished under every good work. And I'll tell you what, I, I, could, preach, I could preach a 5, 10, 12-hour sermon here right now on the book of Song of Solomon. And I wish I could. Because I believe every word of the Song of Songs is God's ordained word. And it's profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, for instruction in righteousness. But God's people don't even touch it. And I'll tell you, we're living at a time where there needs to be a visible church that is tangible, that people are really seeing. Quickly, in Luke chapter 1. In Luke chapter 1, I want to submit to you this morning that in this book, and I want to ask you to do me a favor, and it won't take you, but maybe 20 minutes. If you would do it every day this week, I would even be more excited if you would do it and just sit down with the book of Luke and take chapter 1, 2, and chapter 3. Okay, just read chapter 3 of Luke, just down through the introduction of the ministry of John the Baptist. 
through Luke chapter 3. And, and I want you, because I can't do it in the brief time I have this morning, but let's just quickly look at it. We, we come to the book of Luke and we find that Dr. Luke is, is writing to a faithful man of God. And, and he says in chapter 1, verse 2, Even as they delivered them unto us, which from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word, it seemeth good to me, verse 3, having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first, to write unto you in order, most excellent Theophilus, that you might know the certainty of those things wherein thou hast been instructed. And then he begins to talk about in the days of Herod, the king of Judah. In the days of Herod, the king of Judah. Again, in the days of Herod, same time as the birth of Christ is coming. Six months prior, we see that God begins to deal in the house of a man named Zechariah and his wife, Elizabeth. Old Testament covenant, Zechariah, high priest, Elizabeth, even of the tribe of what was it of the, this morning? The tribe of Aaron, daughter of Aaron. Very, very special family in God's heritage, Zechariah and Elizabeth. The Bible makes no mistake about it this morning, and I don't want to make a mistake about it. It says in verse 6 about these two individuals, Zechariah and Elizabeth, they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. Does that mean they were sinless? Certainly not. He was a high priest. He was doing the very things you're studying out of the book of Leviticus. He was bringing the offerings of the people before the Lord because of sin. He was that priest that was bringing, but in this case, he was offering up the incense. He was carrying on the prayer ministry as a priest. But the Bible explicitly says that this man, Zacharias, and his wife, there was something about their life that made them very, very special. And God took notice to it. They were righteous and walking in the commandments as an ordinance of the Lord, blameless. I'm not preaching work salvation. None of us believe in that. These people were sinners and needed a Savior. But I'm not going to take away what God says to us in His Word about these two individuals. They were righteous before God in walking in the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. We want God to do great things in our lives. We want Him to do great things in our families. I want Him to do great things in my grandchildren. I've got ten of them. Some of you have a lot more than that. I guess if you start bragging about your great kids, you really blow me away. Great grandkids seem to outnumber the grands. My little guys go all the way down to 18 months. That's Joshua Daniel. He's, a, he's number two Joshua Daniel off of my son Joshua Daniel. And we have an oldest girl. is Malia. She's 13. Malia Faith. They're all growing up in homes where... I want to see Christ center. All my sons serve the Lord. They love the Lord. They're in ministry. I'm very, very blessed. I'm a blessed man. I got the most wonderful sons in all the world. And I've got three daughters-in-law that love the Lord. And, and I'm so happy as a grandpa to, to see my family. But you know what? I would say to my, my children, I would say it to my son, Jonathan, my oldest boy who's 40. And I would say it, if I can say it to Malia, who's 13. Little Josh wouldn't understand yet. But I would say to them... Oh, to let God find you usable for Him. Let Him find you usable for Him. I, I kind of like the Amos, Amos the prophet in the Old Testament. I kind of like Amos, and I'm a little partial to Amos. And the only reason I like Amos for a lot of reasons, but one reason I like Amos is, you know, the Bible tells us that he was a vine dresser and a herdsman. 
But that's what he did. He was a herdsman and a vine dresser. And yet God chose him to be a prophet. Amos, the great prophet. Some call him the angry prophet. He was a powerful preacher against sin. Sin in the church, sin in the temple of God. But this man, Amos, was just a vine dresser and a herdsman. And now someday I want to ask the Lord, what was it you saw about Amos that made him be a man that you would choose to use in the way you used him? Just a vine dresser and a herdsman. Have you ever thought when you go to work tomorrow, and maybe I met a chicken uh, farmer here today, raises chickens. I've met a few of those in my day. Believe it or not, I'm a city boy, but I've met a few chicken farmers. And um, imagine if God looked at this man's heart, this chicken farmer's heart that I met this morning. Where are you? Raise your hand. There you are. He went downstairs with the kids. Okay, see, he's down there suffering with the kids. Chickens all week and the kids all... (laughs) What's his name? I don't want to keep calling him chicken farmer. Joel, you know what? I serve a God who's paying attention to a man's heart named Joel. Now, I'm not talking about Joel to me. I'm talking about Joel, the chicken man. Now, you know, that's funny to say it, but you know what? If his heart is a repentant heart, if Joel's heart is a repentant heart, I mean a tender, broken heart, about his own sin before God. And he says, Lord, I want you to find me to be a man like Zacharias, who was just going about the orderly business of my career, the orderly business of my life, and find my heart to be one where you would do something special in my life, Lord. Would you do that for me? That's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about repentant hearts. I'm talking about a heart that is Waiting on God to just to do whatever he wants to do with it. I didn't bring a picture of Dr. Joe this morning. My friend, Dr. Joe Ekman, I'll tell you what, he was, he's beyond words. I mean, I, I don't even want to start talking about it. I couldn't do it. But he's one of those guys that when he, when he was taken from us, and you look at Joe's life and you wonder, how did this guy accomplish what he accomplished? I mean, it, it, his, the capacity of his life just goes beyond saying. And, and when I look at his life, the only thing I can tell you is there was something about Joe that God saw. And God did things through Joe Ekman that I've never seen him do in anybody else's life. He was inhuman. God had to be in the center of it. And I really believe that for whatever reason, God plucked that man from six beautiful little grandkids who called him Pop. All the way down two and a half up to the oldest is 13. And you wonder, why? Why Joe? Why Joe? And yet you look at Joe's life and you look at the people he reached. And you're saying, why not Joe? The impact of that man's life. You see, if you study Luke, and I ask you to do that this week and take time. Pastor said I should be done around 10 of, so I've got to watch it now. But please watch now. Luke 1, you see Zacharias and Elizabeth. Then you come to the great, the great story of John the Baptist. And it tells us that John the Baptist would be filled with the Holy Spirit from his mother's womb. Luke 1, 15. 
Luke 1, 16, he turned many hearts of the children to the Lord. You see the quote of Malachi 4, 6 and verse 17. And as you keep reading, you'll begin to realize in these first couple chapters of, of the early gospel of Luke. Before you see the birth of Jesus Christ, you'll see that then God finds a very special man named um, Joseph. And he finds a very special woman named Mary. He finds a very special woman named Anna. He finds a very special man. What's his name in the temple? Zach was it Zachariah? Simeon, in my mind. Simeon. And then by the time you read Luke chapter 3, you'll see John the Baptist preaching repentance. The first three chapters of the book of Luke, you meet so many special people. And what you'll see over and over and over again is the filling of the Holy Spirit. And you'll find that in Mary and Joseph and Zechariah and in Elizabeth and in John the Baptist. And you'll keep seeing over and over and over again a mighty work of God in these lives. I want to say to you this morning in the moments I had. As you prepare for Christmas, you can remember to do everything. And I, we, have, we have, again, with all our grandkids, and my kids are all in missions, so they don't have much money. And so we're at a point in our life, my wife and I, we pretty much get a Christmas list from our kids, and then we go out and buy everything, and we wrap it, and the kids, they spend my money. We've got cookies to bake, we've got gifts to wrap, funerals to do, all that. But you know what? If, if I think I'm getting ready for Christmas and my heart's not repentant and broken and tender before God, I'm not ready for Christmas. And neither will you be. You will not be ready for Christmas. The only way you're going to be ready for Christmas is for that same God who saw Zacharias burning incense in the prayer closet in the temple and knew Elizabeth and knew Mary, that special woman and Joseph say what you want the Bible says they're very special people he found their hearts right and we talk about the Lord coming and humbling himself you know there's only two places according to Isaiah 57, 15 where God dwells only two places in the high and holy place and the broken and contrite heart. That's the only two places he dwells. Come to my heart, Lord Jesus. What's it look like when he lives in us? What's it look like when we really say he is Lord of my life? Can it really be tested that I am a true repenter? That I've really turned. There's something different about my life. I think you can see repentance. We pray for America. We want a revival in America. We want to see the tide turned. Do you think the tide will turn in America? In the Senate? In the House? In the Supreme Court? Is that where the miracle is going to happen? I don't think so. Judgment begins in the house of God.
Imagine what God would do in America if repentance occurred in the church. Churches wouldn't leave Coatesville. They would stay there. And they wouldn't just have church. They would be poured out in the lives of the broken and the lost. That's what repentance looks like. And so my message to you this morning first is to say thank you. Thank you for praying for us because we work in penitentiaries. That was the old word. They used to believe the Quakers that people would repent when they went to penitentiaries. Now we call them houses of correction. Prisons. Do the crime, do the time. But I suggest to you that some of the greatest work of repentance I'm seeing in America is taking place in prisons and not in churches. So my gift to you on this Sunday before Christmas, a week ahead, is to say the greatest way to prepare what you've got to finish is a heart that is broken and tender before God. Because my Bible tells me he seems to pay attention to that. And he steps in. Mary said in her Magnificat, I'll leave with this. Look what she says. Mary, after she had seen um, Elizabeth and Elizabeth was six months pregnant, Mary went home to be with her family. And she says in verse 49, verse 49 of Luke chapter 1, He that is mighty hath done to me great things, and holy is his name. And his mercy is on them that fear him from generation to generation. You know, that should be our testimony. Verse 49 and 50. He that is mighty has done to me great things. And mighty is his name. Holy is his name. His mercy is on him that fears him from generation to generation. How do I get ready for Christmas? Know the first word of the gospel. Repent. When Jesus came out of Galilee and he began to preach, what do you think his first word was? Repent. That was his first word. And so getting ready for Christmas. Be a church that's growing and will be known as repenters. May God bless you. Thank you, Father, for this time. I pray that you will touch this church, Lord, with the same same working that you worked in in those in the early church, Lord, those even in this gospel. As you did special things, Lord, Anna, Anna there in the temple, uh, Simeon in the temple, uh, blessed by you. And, Father, the character of their life was so ready for you to do what you wanted to do. And I pray, Father, for the man in the pulpit right now, Jack Kranz, that, Lord, I'm asking you, Lord, I may be nothing more than a herdsman, a vine dresser. Uh, Lord, there's men and women in this room today that are going to go off to what seems to be the mundane world that we have. And yet, Lord, you're looking at the heart. You're looking at the heart. And I really believe, Father, you're going to do great things in the heart where you can dwell. And I know you're most welcome, Lord, in a broken and contrite heart. So, Father, prepare us for Christmas. Prepare us for that great celebration of so great a Savior. It's in his name we pray. Amen.